Hi, this is Pastor Jim. Thanks for joining us for this week's message from Riverside Church. I believe you will be inspired and blessed by the Word of God. We'd love to welcome you to one of our services next time you're in the Brisbane area. If you'd like to know more about us, go online at www.riversidecc.org.au or like us on Facebook to hear about up-and-coming events. I hope you enjoy the message. God bless you. Amen. So we're coming to John 3, chapter 3, verse 1. And we're going to read 1 through to verse 21. So it's quite a long passage. And I want you to just hear this conversation as it takes place between Nicodemus and Jesus. So, John 3, chapter, verse 1. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you were born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, You are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things. I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, yet you won't believe our testimony. If you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so too the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All those who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it, for they fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so that others can see that they are doing what God wants. To say there is a lot in those verses would be an understatement. There is a lot going on in this conversation. And I hope to unpack some of that. I can't unpack all of it because we don't have that long. Okay? And I've already trimmed this message once and twice to get it condensed so we can unpack what Jesus is really trying to get Nicodemus to understand and to get us to understand. And our first step in understanding what's going on is Nicodemus. We have to know who Nicodemus is. Nicodemus. He, who is this figure coming to Jesus at night? He is described in many ways. The word tells us that he is a Pharisee. He is a member of the Sanhedrin. And he is the teacher of Israel. There are three things that we know about Nicodemus. So Nicodemus is a Pharisee. They were the brotherhood of a 6,000 men dedicated to observing every single detail of the law. The Torah, the first five books of the Bible, was the most sacred thing in all of creation. For the Pharisee, it was, the, it, was it. Following it to the letter was a good way to lead a perfect life. That's how you get into the kingdom of God. Nicodemus was also an elite. He was part of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the Jewish ruling council. Seventy men which was like the Supreme Court of the Jews. The Sanhedrin had jurisdiction over every Jewish person on the planet. They were the ruling council. And one of its duties was to examine those suspected of being false prophets. That was one of their jobs. So Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's also a member of the Sanhedrin, so he's one of the elite. 
And he's also called the teacher of Israel. Teacher can be translated here as master. He is the master of Israel. Nicodemus is the authority on the Jewish religion and their beliefs. He is an expert in all of the law and all of the prophets. He knows the Old Testament back to front. He has memorized all of it. And it is this ruling member of the, of, of the elite, this elite teacher, this wealthy and powerful man, comes to Jesus under the cover of darkness. The question really is, not who is Nicodemus, the question is, what does Nicodemus want? What does he want? There is much that is debated about what happens in this conversation, which you will see. And one of those things is about why Nicodemus came at night. Why does he come under the cover of darkness? The traditional view is that Nicodemus didn't want anyone else knowing that he was interested in Jesus' teaching. That is the traditional view. A lot of people say that. Others would say that coming at night time was simply a practical choice. There's no crowds around Jesus at night time. That's when you come to Jesus. So you can have a one-on-one -on -one conversation without distraction. I think it's a little bit of both. That's my personal opinion. As a part of the Sanhedrin who investigate false prophets, Nicodemus had a very legitimate reason to investigate Jesus. That's what they do. He had a very legitimate reason to be there. And it makes complete sense for him to want to see Jesus on his own without people around him. I get that. It's completely logical. But I also believe that Nicodemus is being cautious because he did go alone. He didn't take anyone else with him. So there is a personal curiosity at play here with Nicodemus. He wants to know. Nicodemus has seen the miracles and he wants to see if God is really at work with Jesus. He's even respectful of Jesus. He calls him rabbi. He calls him teacher. So Nicodemus shows Jesus respect. That tells me that Nicodemus is there to learn. He's there to hear what Jesus has to say. The first thing I note about their conversation is that Nicodemus doesn't ask Jesus a question. He doesn't ask him a question. He says, Rabbi, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. He makes a statement. We all know. So that would indicate that there's other Pharisees, maybe even other members of the Sanhedrin, who are also curious about Jesus, who, they, who can see that Jesus must be sent by God. God must have sent him. We've seen the miracles. We've seen what he does. God must have sent him. They might not be willing to admit it to other Pharisees. I don't think they would do that. But internally, they know something's going on here. But there's no question. Jesus isn't asked a question. So we see Jesus doesn't respond to a question. He's not answering a question because Jesus already knows what Nicodemus needs to hear. He already knows. Because it's the same thing that we all needed to hear. It's no different for Nicodemus. And that is how to enter into relationship with God. That's where Jesus goes. How God is making the way possible for all people to come to him. Jesus teaches Nicodemus what he needs to know. Not even Nicodemus really knew what he wanted from Jesus, I don't think. He was just curious. He just knew that Jesus was different. He had investigated false prophets before. The Sanhedrin had done that time and time again. But this Jesus, he's not like the rest. He's different. He comes with power, with signs and wonders and miracles, which Jim talked about last week. Nicodemus comes in his duty to investigate, but deep down he is longing for answers to questions he doesn't know how to ask. What Nicodemus needs is to know God's unfolding plan of salvation. It's the good news that Nicodemus needs to hear. Salvation. It's salvation that Jesus brings to Nicodemus. But it's a concept that is not going to be easy for Nicodemus to hear. It's going to be tough. It's going to be real tough. To unpack this new concept of salvation, Jesus provides four illustrations. Four illustrations of salvation. Four pictures that reveal God's plan to save all of humanity. And they give us a framework to understanding Jesus as he teaches the teacher of Israel. And the first image, the first illustration is new birth. New birth. 
Jesus responds to Nicodemus' statement with a simple, I tell you the truth. He doesn't ask a question. He simply says, I tell you the truth. Other versions, it says, verily, verily, or truly, truly. I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Everyone must be born again. Everyone. When we read this, 21st century Christians, when we see the term born again, we know what born again means. For each of you, you have this image in your head of what born again is. It'll, it'll, it'll bring up some word associations for you. Once upon a time, I think born again was used in a derogatory way of new Christians. Are those born agains? It's like Pentecostals. You know those Pentecostals. Happy clappers. You know? That's what it's like. But while we read born again and make some associations in our own minds, in the original language, it doesn't read born again. The word used has several meanings. It's more accurate in this case to say born from above. Not born again. You cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you are born from above. It is a new birth, not a rebirth. We are not born again, reborn. It is a new thing. It's new birth. We are born from above. God is doing something new. The thing is, Nicodemus didn't get it because he comes fixated on the idea of birth. You know, he says, how can an old man go back inside his mother's womb? Okay, Nicodemus, he doesn't get it. He's, he's fixated on his birth idea. And so Jesus responds with an even more confusing statement. Thank you, Jesus, as he often did. He says in verse 5, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Thanks, Jesus. That really clears it up. Got, I've got it now. Awesome. To say there has been a lot of debate about John 3 verse 5 would be a massive understatement. It has confused scholars for many, many years. For some, there's lots of interpretations. I'm going to give you three. For some, water and spirit refers to simply physical birth and spiritual birth. When Jesus says water, he's simply meaning we were all born, as in the mother's waters broke during labor. Okay? It is physical birth and there's spiritual birth. For some, water and spirit refer to water baptism and spiritual birth. The water refers to baptism. I believe that both those interpretations are wrong. There we go. I'm going to say it very clearly. Both those things are incorrect. Here's why. Firstly, verse 3 and verse 5 are the same statement. They're mirror statements. Jesus doesn't give clarification in verse 5. He just says the same thing again. He says... Remember, he says, he begins in the same way. I tell you the truth. And then in verse 5, he says, I assure you, it's the same thing. If you read the King James, it says, truly, truly, in both verses. He starts the same way. And then he talks about the kingdom of God in both statements. You cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot enter the kingdom of God. It means the same thing. And then the condition for entering kingdom of God is also the same thing. Unless you are born from above, unless you're born of water and the Spirit. Water and Spirit is not two steps to the kingdom of God. It is one step. It is only one thing, not two things. It is one thing. Just like being born from above, born again, as we would recognize, is one thing. Being born of water and the Spirit is one thing. It is one thing. And what is that one thing? Jesus' answer reveals what it is to Nicodemus. As a teacher of Israel, as an expert in the law and the prophets, Jesus used an Old Testament reference to try and get Nicodemus to see what he's trying to say. Remember back when John was talking to Nathaniel that I preached about earlier? How he used an Old Testament reference? Understand? Jesus does the same thing. Jesus meets us where we are. He meets us where we are so we understand. And he does the same thing with Nicodemus. In Ezekiel 36, we read this in verse 25. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new spirit, a new heart, and I'll put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I'll put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. So when Jesus says, born of water and spirit, he's referencing Ezekiel 36, which Nicodemus should know because he's the man. He is the teacher of Israel. He knows Ezekiel. 
Jesus is not teaching new stuff. He's bringing light to concepts that have already been established. God is simply doing what he said he would do in Ezekiel. God said he would do it, and now he's doing it. Jesus teaches that no one may enter the kingdom of God unless they undergo the washing away of their sin. And the Holy Spirit comes to live within you. We all know when that happens, if you believe in Jesus. It happened when you gave your life to Jesus. For us as 21st century Christians, that's already happened for us. This process has taken place within us. It happened when we asked Jesus to be Lord of our life. It's familiar to us, but it is not familiar to Nicodemus because none of that has happened yet because Jesus is still alive. He hasn't gone to the cross yet. He hasn't been raised again yet. So Jesus is simply painting a picture for Nicodemus so he understands. God said that he would do this. He'll restore Israel with new birth, washing away their filth and putting a new spirit in them. That's what God's doing. But the picture's not complete yet. Jesus gives Nicodemus a second illustration, a second picture, and that is the wind. The uncontrollable, indescribable wind. Sensing Nicodemus' uncertainty, Jesus reveals another aspect of God's plan of salvation. And that is simply this, that we cannot explain or understand how God does what God does. He is beyond our comprehension. We can... We can try and write things, debate things, talk about it, preach about it. But in the end, some things are just beyond the human mind. We cannot perceive the mind of God, no matter how much we try. We can't. We just don't know what happens in a person when they get saved. You've been saved, and you could describe it in words for people, I'm sure, but you can't explain the mechanics of how that happens. You can't tell me spiritually exactly everything that happens within you. We can't do that. We're not God. We don't know how God does what God does. But what we do see is the effects. We see the effects of a person who's changed by Jesus. Remember when Jesus talked to him, talked to him he says, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from, where it's going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. That's what Jesus said. We can only see the effect of those who believe in Jesus. Each of us have our own story. There are things that you did in your life before you met Jesus that you do not do now because Jesus lives within you. Your life has changed, hasn't it? Has your life changed? Yes, of course it has. My life has changed. I am certainly not the person I was before I met Jesus. Jane can tell you all about that. Okay? I praise God that I'm not the person I was before I met Jesus. Each of us has had our lives changed. And while we can't exactly explain what happens, people see the effects in our life, don't they? They see the effects in our life. Jesus uses this concept of wind. And the word here for wind is pneuma, which actually means spirit. So wind equals spirit. Wind and spirit. It's the same word. It's the word pneuma. In the Hebrew, the word is ruach. It's the same word. Wind and spirit have the same word. So Jesus, again, is trying to open the eyes of Nicodemus, who spent his life assured he knew who God was. He knew where God was. He knew all about God. He was comfortable that he had put God in that box, and I'm comfortable with God being in that box. He was contained behind the curtain in the temple. That was for the Pharisees. And we're comfortable with Jesus, with God being behind that curtain because it means that we can do what we want. They were comfortable in the hypocrisy, in their corruption, because they had God safely tucked away behind the curtain. And what does Jesus come along and say? The Spirit will blow wherever He wants. You cannot control God. You think you've controlled God. You think you know God. You think you know where you've put Him. But that's not where God is. You cannot contain God. It is beyond our capacity of thought. We just know that God is there for us. We believe that God is there for us. 
We don't know where he came from, and we don't know what he is doing in the future. But all of us trust that God will be with us wherever we go. And that is the truth. That's faith. That's what Nicodemus didn't get, that Jesus was trying to make him understand. In Jesus' use of the wind-slash-spirit analogy, Jesus has begun to pick, pick at some of Nicodemus's foundation. He's begun to un, unpick things that Nicodemus has stood on his entire life. And when Jesus says, you, here, he says, you, you. He's not talking about Nicodemus. He's talking about everyone. The you there is plural. It means everything. You must be born again. It's not Nicodemus only. It's everyone. Everyone. Jesus is referring to everyone and anyone. Everyone must receive this new birth. Everyone must be reborn. New birth. Everyone must receive it. And if everyone must receive it, that means what? It must be available to everyone. And anyone, not just for the Pharisees, not just for God's special nation, not just for his chosen people, but everyone. And for a Pharisee like Nicodemus, that is a radical and disturbing concept because they thought they were it. Everyone else perishes and we are the chosen people. And here's Jesus saying, everyone needs to be born again. Everyone. Because God is about giving life. He provides everyone the opportunity to come to him. You can't control this, Nicodemus. You can't control God and what he's doing. The Spirit will blow wherever he wants. And the best thing about that is that when the Spirit comes, he gives life. The Spirit gives life. God is doing something new. But these are not new concepts. These are not new ideas. Jesus has repeatedly tried to help Nicodemus understand by speaking the language of the Old Testament. And in the Rin reference, he does it again. He tries to now home his point. He goes back to Ezekiel. Ezekiel 37 verse 9 says this, Then he said to me, Speak a prophetic message to the winds, son of man. Speak a prophetic message and say, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath, from the four winds. Breathe into these dead bodies so they may live again. Wind, spirit, breath, all the same word. Numa, ruach, same word. It comes so that what? The dead may have life. You speak life to the dry bones and they come alive again. Ezekiel prophesied to the wind, to the spirit, so that they would have life again. So too does God want everyone who is separated from him, who is spiritually dead for eternity, to receive new life so they can come alive in Jesus and live forever in God's family. Can't you see, Nicodemus? Don't you get it? God is doing what he said he would do. He is making way for everyone to be alive again because you're all dead. You're all separated from God. God wants you to be alive. And it's happening now, Nicodemus, right in front of your eyes. So Jesus has given Nicodemus two illustrations to reveal God's plan of salvation. New birth and the wind. And on both occasions, he's used Old Testament terminology to try and open, to try and help Nicodemus understand. But I don't think he's getting it. I, I, don't, I don't think he gets it. And so now we take a bit of a breather. Nicodemus is obviously struggling to conceive of what Jesus is teaching. Not just because these concepts seem new, but because at the same time Jesus is dismantling the beliefs that have been the foundation of Nicodemus's life. Nicodemus has dedicated his life to the Torah, following the letter of the law. So he would be good enough, his life would be perfect enough to enter the kingdom of God. But here comes Jesus teaching about new birth, and this new life is the only way. And if Jesus has been truthful, then everything Nicodemus has done up until this point has been a complete waste of time. I can't imagine how devastating that is for Nicodemus. He's not a young man. 
he's an old man. This is not good news for Nicodemus. Not all of a sudden. It's devastating news. Everything I have done means nothing then. Because all I need to do is have this new birth, this new life. That's all I need. Everything else, everything I have, everything I've worked for doesn't mean anything. Has he really gotten it wrong this whole time? So what does Nicodemus do in response? All he can do is say, how? How are these things possible? Now Nicodemus asks the question, how, Jesus? How is this possible? And Jesus' reply is not, you know, cotton wool and nice. Jesus is blunt. He doesn't beat around the bush. He says, you are a respected teacher. And other translations, it says, you are the teacher of Israel and you do not understand this? How could you miss this? I have used pictures from the text which you know and you do not perceive what I'm saying. You don't get it, Nicodemus. And so Jesus starts making it a little more obvious. He starts to reveal not what God is doing as such, but who he is. Jesus starts revealing who he is to Nicodemus in the hope that if he understands who Jesus is, surely he'll get the rest. So Jesus makes the we statement. Just as Nicodemus came at the start, he says, we know that you have been sent by God to teach us. Nicodemus speaking on behalf of other people, possibly other members of the Sanhedrin who believed in Jesus or were curious about Jesus. Don't forget Joseph of Arimathea. Know who he is? He was also a member of the Sanhedrin. So there's other guys out there who want to know. And so Jesus makes his own we statement. He says, We tell you what we know and have seen, yet you won't believe our testimony. Jesus starts including all those who have become before Jesus. Think of John the Baptist. What did, Jesus, what did John preach? Repent. Repentance. John was all about, you need to turn your life around. John was all about new life. And of course, Jesus speaks on behalf of God the Father and God the Spirit. He plainly calls it as it is. It's our testimony, which you don't believe. Not referring to Nicodemus alone. That's everybody. Everybody doesn't believe. The world doesn't believe the testimony of Jesus. And he says, what I've said about earthly things, you don't get. You need this new life. That happens here on earth while you're still alive. You need to make that decision now, not later, now. And if you don't understand that, you're not going to understand when I teach you about heavenly things because you don't believe me when I say you need to be born again. You need to be born from above. So Jesus makes it clearer. In verse 13, Jesus says, no one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. Wink, Nicodemus. The Son of Man has come down from heaven. Okay? You with me? Okay? Jesus eliminates all our possibilities. I'm not someone who's died and has gone to heaven and come back. That's not what has happened here. Jesus eliminates that possibility. But the Son of Man has come down from heaven. Nicodemus. I am the Son of Man. In case I can't spoil it any clearer to you, seriously. Son of Man was a term that Nicodemus knew well. In the book of Ezekiel, the Son of Man is said 90 times. 9-0, 90 times in the book of Ezekiel, it says Son of Man. So Nicodemus knew the term. He knew what it meant. It meant Messiah. It meant God's chosen one. Nicodemus. I am the Son of Man whom you seek. Look at me. I have come from heaven to tell you this. He confronts Nicodemus with the truth. Jesus has come to heaven from heaven to save all people. This is the point where Jesus uses his third illustration. He uses the illustration of the snake. If you, using Ezekiel doesn't work for Nicodemus, if using the prophets isn't quite getting through, then Jesus goes, I'll go straight to the Torah, straight to Numbers. He knows Numbers. He knows that story. 
and he pulls out an event in the history of the Israelites. It's not going to, it's not going to be on the screen. I want to listen to this, this, this event that happened with God's people. In Numbers 29, verse 4, it says this, Then the people of Israel set out from Mount Hor, taking the road to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. But the people grew impatient with the long journey. And they began to speak against God and Moses. Why have you brought us out for Egypt to die here in the wilderness? I love how God's people are always so grateful. They complained. There is nothing to eat here, nothing to drink. And we hate this horrible manna that you send freely from heaven every day for us. So what does God do? God sent poisonous snakes among the people, and many were bitten and died. Then the people came to Moses and cried out, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. You ever think so? Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord told him, Make a replica of the poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. All who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. Remember that. Look at it. So Moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to a pole. Then anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. There are two things I love about this story. The first is that Jesus, God did not do what the people asked. They said, pray to God, take away the snakes. God did not take away the snakes. That's not what he did. Instead, he created a way to survive the snakes, to overcome the snakes. Secondly, all they had to do was look at the bronze snake. Not touch the bronze snake, not worship the bronze snake, not offer sacrifices to the snake. If you read Second Kings, that's exactly what they ended up doing. But simply trust God when he says, look at the snake and be healed. Simply trust God when he says what to do. It seems like a really odd little event, doesn't it? But the whole story is a precursor to Jesus. And that is why, precisely why, Jesus uses it to teach Nicodemus. Just as Moses lifted up the bronze snake, so too the Son of Man must be lifted up. And when he is lifted up, we are to look and believe. Look and believe. The term for lifted up is the Greek term hypsu. It's a great word, hypsu. It has two meanings. It literally means to lift up. We get that part, okay, to lift up. But it also means to exalt, to raise to dignity and honour. In the wilderness, God didn't take away the snakes. He provided a way for the people to be healed. But when Jesus is lifted on the cross, he does it differently. When we see Jesus lifted up, we should be hearing the words of John 1.29, the words of John the Baptist. And what did he say when he saw Jesus? Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. In the wilderness, he didn't take away the snakes. But with Jesus, he takes away the sin of the world. For the Pharisees, for Nicodemus, the crucifixion was a place of shame. Despicable. But Jesus makes the claim here, speaking to Nicodemus, that the Son of Man must be lifted up. He must be crucified. So that everyone who looks at him and believes will have eternal life. When Jesus is lifted on the cross, we see both crucifixion and exaltation. Both of them at the same time. The cross was the tool of God's plan for salvation. The Pharisees saw Jesus on the cross and they cheered at his death. When we see Jesus on the cross, we lift him up and we exalt him. We exalt Jesus when we see him on the cross. Because he brought us back to a place of dignity and honour before our Creator. He made us righteous when we were unrighteous. We look and believe, and that just speaks of faith. It's all about faith. In Isaiah 52, 13, it says, See, my servant will prosper. He will be highly exalted. Speaking of Jesus, 
he will prosper. When the Jews saw Jesus on the cross, when the Pharisees saw him on the cross, they didn't think prosperity, did they? We see Jesus on the cross. We think, thank you, Jesus, that you prosper us. We are prosperous because of what you have done, and you will be highly exalted. All we need to do is believe, to trust in God. When he says, look and be saved, the Son of Man in his obedience as a servant on the cross is highly exalted because he takes away the sin of the world. But Nicodemus doesn't understand any of this yet. He doesn't get it yet. But he will when he sees his fellow Pharisees and members of the Sanhedrin conspire to kill the Son of Man. From this point on, we don't hear from Nicodemus in this conversation. His part is over now. You only hear Jesus from now on. It's not until later do we see Nicodemus. You see him in John 7, and then you see him in John 19. And what does he do in John 19? He and Joseph of Arimathea, another Sanhedrin member, a member of the elite, they ensure that Jesus receives a proper Jewish burial. Not under the cover of darkness, but so everyone can see. So we have hope. We have hope for Nicodemus, that he finally got it, that he understood who Jesus was and what God was doing. God's plan to offer hope for everyone. And so we move on to a rather famous verse. You might have heard of it before. And when we move to this verse, we shift our attention away from Nicodemus and we shift it to ourselves. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. What is Jesus teaching us? We've been given the same illustrations Nicodemus has. We can be born again from above, this new birth. We can be washed clean. God has made a way for us to have new birth. God has made a way, a way that is uncontrollable and indescribable as the wind. We can be made alive again, just like those dry bones in the desert. We can be made alive again. Jesus has come to be lifted up. God has sent Jesus so that everyone who believes in him will be saved. Why? Why does God do this? Jesus wants Nicodemus to understand what God is doing. And he wants us to understand what he has done. Why did God send his son? So that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. That's how God loves the world. God's love is not the sentimental kind of love you see in rom-coms. That's not what God's love is. It's not like God said, I love you enough to give you something. That's not what God said. God says, this is how I love you. I give you my son, my most precious gift. It's a love that costs. It's a love that has a price. God gave what was most dear to him. In these verses, as we close out John 3, there are three times when Jesus includes everyone. Everyone who believes him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Anyone who doesn't believe in him has already been judged. And there is no judgment against anyone who believes. It doesn't say God so loved the Pharisees, God so loved the Sanhedrin, God so loved those born-again Christians, God so loved the Pentecostals. That's not what it says. God so loved the world. Everyone. The world. Doesn't matter who you are and what you have done. Everyone who believes will not perish. Everyone and anyone. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. He didn't come to judge it. Because the world has already been judged. Jesus came to save us out of a world that has already been condemned. Which brings us to the last illustration. And it's an illustration for us regarding salvation. And that is light and darkness. 
because Jesus came to shine his light. He is God's light come into the world. Jesus comes to shine his light into the world, not not to condemn it. Not to condemn it. He came to save. He came to save. The consequences of judgment will come later. Yes, they will. At their appointed time. Jesus now sits at the right hand of God. And that time will come. But he didn't come and dwell among us to judge us, to condemn us. He came to save us. Jesus shines a light. He didn't come to condemn. The thing is, though, is that when you shine a light, if you go into a dark room and shine a torch, what happens? You create shadows. Whenever you shine a light, there will always be shadows. And it's in the shadows that people prefer to hide. Nicodemus, I love the metaphor, Nicodemus come, came under the cover of darkness. But then he stepped into the light of Jesus. And there's the choice. The choice is whether you prefer the darkness or are you willing to step into the light. And so John ends this conversation with the choice. Do you find refuge in the shadows? Are there parts of the life that you prefer to keep hidden? In the shadows, in the darkness? Do you choose the shadow? Or will you step into the light? The truth is, the consequences of judgment are coming. Jesus entered into a world that wasn't neutral, it wasn't ambivalent, it had already been judged and found guilty by its sin and its love of darkness. Jesus enters into that world to save all who would look and believe because there are consequences for those who don't. That is the truth. When we choose to live in the light, we show others the right way to live because the light glorifies God. The light glorifies God. Our life lived in the light will bring glory to him who saved us. The light reveals to others that we love God. It is our testimony. God loved us so much he sent his son to die. And what is our response going to be? To keep hiding in the shadows or to understand what our lives should be? Understand what our lives should be. Our lives are to enlighten others to God's love. That is our response. That is what we should be doing. Enlightening others to know that God, so they know that God loves them. We show them how God loves by loving them. We tell them how God loves by telling them our testimony so they can experience it for themselves. That is what Jesus wanted for Nicodemus, for him to make the choice. To know that God loved him and there was a way for him to know God and it had nothing to do with his status, his wealth, his knowledge, his money, his, his service to the Sanhedrin. None of that mattered. All he had to do was look at Jesus, see, understand that he is the Son of Man. And when the time came, when Jesus was raised to the cross, to look at him and believe. I want to finish this morning with a verse that would have summed up everything for Nicodemus. And what I love about this verse is that it's written by another Pharisee. Someone who called himself the Pharisee of Pharisees. Another teacher of the law, an expert in the law and the prophets. But who understood so clearly what Jesus had done for him. In Titus 3, Paul writes this. But when God our Saviour revealed his kindness and love, he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Get this. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. New birth, water and the Spirit. Paul got it. Paul understood what Nicodemus couldn't understand. But we can only hope that Nicodemus got it too. That his actions after Jesus' death revealed to us that Nicodemus went, oh, I understand now. But do we? Do you understand? Do you understand what Jesus did for you? Do you understand how much God loves you? Do you really get it? Can you comprehend it? Can you conceive 
of what God was willing to do and what he did. We read this conversation. We read his words. And what does it do? It strengthens our belief that he is the Messiah, that Jesus is who he says he is, that we would look up and believe and know that we have life through the power of his name, a life that that shines the light of Jesus. That is our response. That is what Jesus wants for us, to know who he is and then let others know who he is simply by shining his light. I'm going to ask everyone to stand this morning. And I am going to ask the musicians to come this morning because I want to sing a song to finish. I feel that's appropriate. If you sing the second song, that would be awesome. As we're standing here this morning, I want you to close your eyes. I want you to close your eyes and picture Jesus. Picture this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. Two men talking about the things that matter most. And as you picture Jesus, I want you to feel, to conceive, to perceive, to understand how much he loves you. What he was willing to do for you. Look at Jesus. Look up and believe. Picture Jesus now. Exalt him on the cross. If you're here this morning, I don't know your story. I don't know everybody in this room. I don't know where you are. Watching at home, I don't know who you are. Where everyone's got their eyes closed. Where everyone is focusing on Jesus. Maybe you've never asked Jesus to become Lord of your life. Maybe you've heard the words this morning and you didn't know that you needed to be washed clean. You didn't know that God wants to put a new heart, a new spirit in you. Well, today you have the opportunity. You can do that today. And it's not even hard. All you need to do is recognize that you have sinned against God. Sin is simply living your life separate from God, doing your own thing. It's the wrong things that you've done, the wrong things that you have thought. That's all sin is. You just need to recognize that you need to be forgiven. And you can simply say to God, forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of my sin. God, wash me clean. Wash me clean. God, put in me a new spirit, a new heart. I want to follow Jesus. I want to shine the light like Jesus. Put in me a new spirit so that I may follow your commands, that I may follow and live as you want me to live. If you do that, that's all it takes. That's all it takes to follow Jesus and make him more of your life. Now, if you this morning, I don't know who you are. If you made decision this morning, I encourage you, after the service, to come and see me. To come and see me and we'll pray for you. If you at home are watching this, and that's your decision this morning, I want you to reach out. You can even type in the, in the, the box on Facebook there. You can say, I made a decision this morning. And we will connect with you. Reach out to us. You just made the most important decision you'll ever make. And for the rest of us, for those of us who call Jesus Lord, who strive to follow his example and shine his light. What is our response going to be this morning? How do we leave this place different from when we came in? Are there some things now that you need to bring to the light? You need to say, God, I'm sick of living in the shadows. I commit now to living in the light. I'm going to live a life that is worthy of the price that you pay. I'm going to shine a light for Jesus. I'm going to show other people God's love. In every conversation, whether it be at home or in the workplace, at school, at university, with your friends, with your family, whatever it is, every conversation you're going to be thinking, how can I shine the light of Jesus? In everything you do, you're going to ask, How can I shine the light of Jesus? Because that is our response. That we would live lives 
that reflect and exalt Him. Because what did Jesus say? Those who do what is right live a life that shows that we are doing what God wants. We need to show people that we live a life that God wants us to live. That's all Jesus says. Live in the light. Live in the light. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray this morning. Pray for each one of us here, me included, each one of us here, who has looked up and believed. We saw you lifted up, Jesus, and we chose to believe. And right now we make a commitment. Right now we commit to shining the light that you shone. We commit to making sure our conversations reveal your glory, that our deeds reveal your love. We're going to go out from this place different because you want people to know who you are. Just like you said to Nicodemus. You don't get it. All you need to do is be born, born from above. That's all you need. Nothing else matters. None of the things that you've done matter. Everything else is a waste of time. All you need is to believe and be born from above. Because Jesus is the only way, the way, the truth, and the life. God, help us. Holy Spirit, embolden us. Give us words to speak and power that we may go out from this place and teach other people that Jesus is the only way, that he loves them. And he wants them to shine just like me. Thank you, God, this morning for all that you have done and all that you are doing. Even when we can't comprehend it or conceive it or describe it, we trust that you are there and you are beside us every step of the way. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless. Hope you have a great day and a great week. Thanks for listening today. I hope you subscribe to the podcast so you can be inspired weekly. God bless and have a great day.